Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> Christina, is <looking> excited. <laughs> uh, we are here. This is a bonus edition. Uh, we were supposed to take several weeks off. One of us is supposed to be working on a book about Ken Shamrock. Both of us are getting in the car tomorrow morning early with two kids to drive to Dallas, Texas. And uh, we just had too much energy uh, and energy. Uh, too much has happened. Too much is going to happen. Not to at least say a few words uh, about the wrestling. Yeah, I mean, we we spent this past weekend uh, going to see AEW's Fighter Fest, and then this weekend, like you said, we're off to Dallas to see the opening of this year's G1 Climax. So I just yeah, there was just so much to discuss what with the show that we saw, and then with the G1 Climax coming up uh, that we decided to to take a few minutes. And, um, well, I mean, talk about Fighter Fest, and we have, I think, some questions about it from yes, we Twitter. Yes, we do have a, a bunch of questions from listeners. And so, like, I guess, uh, so we're not going to have our normal structure where we come up with, like, a top five and stuff. Uh, we haven't really had time to, to even talk about it hardly ourselves. So the, right. that's really what we're doing here, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's me and you getting a chance to talk about Fighter Fest. Um, so I guess, you know, first and foremost, Daytona Beach I mean, not to steal from SCU, but that was the worst the town worst. I've ever been in. Yeah, what I a dump was. A little, I, that was the first time I've ever been uh, to Daytona. It was not what I was expecting. Um, I thought it would be a little bit nicer. I guess we're more familiar with Florida Gulf Coast towns um, that are, you know, they're a little. Um, Everything's a little bit more spread out, but it's also a little aesthetic, more aesthetically pleasing, I guess. Um, yeah, this... well, we also like grew up in South Carolina, and this makes you miss the class and dignity of Myrtle Beach, That's right? Which is it's itself is like a complete and total dump. That's right. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, the least uh, possible amount of recommendations. The, the negative five Meltzer stars for Daytona Beach. Yeah, it was a dirty um, parking situation was not ideal. And uh, yeah, I just, um, I didn't see anything that there that would like draw me back. Yeah, so the, I mean, the funniest thing was that uh, Christina, if you haven't seen our pictures on Twitter, uh, dressed up as Joey Janela for the for the show. I it was just it's just a tribute to Joey Janela. I'm not trying to look like Joey Janela. And and thank goodness for that. No offense to Joey Janela, <laughs> but that's that would not be my thing. Um but so you know you were trying to though exude this a little bit of dirtbag energy. That's what I was trying to do, yeah. And then you show up at Daytona Beach and it's like you're the classiest person there. <laughs> I I was, I was, well, first of all, it was like the least amount of clothing that I ever normally wear. And I was like way overdressed compared to most of the people walking up and down the street. And I'm not just talking about people in bathing suits, but just, you know, people in incredibly short clothing and some clothing, that, clothing that was clearly not intended for their body type That's right. or size. Um, it was just a, an, an incredible mishmash of, of looks. Um, I, I don't even know what to say. Let's just move on. <laughs> get, get yourself in trouble real quick here. So, yeah, moving on. Uh, eventually, we departed the streets of Daytona Beach and, and into the arena. Eventually? Yes. Yes. I mean, they had that. In, we walked up 
to see this enormous line a half an hour after they should have been letting people into the arena. We didn't know what was going on. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, so it was not even clear. We get up there and like, no one even looks at our stuff. They're just, <laughs> you just walk in. So yes. like, what was the line for? I don't know. Um, I don't want to turn this into a gripe session, but you know, logistically this show was the, the biggest kind of nightmare that we've had uh, in this experience yet where you, we've gone around to various towns watching wrestling shows. This has been the hardest. Um, they didn't have any parking. We had to park blocks and blocks and blocks away at like a random parking garage, which we'll get to later. Uh, so then we had to make a long trek to the building where you had to wait in this inexplicable line, even though the show should have already, you know, the door should have long been open. Uh, but the good news is eventually we went into the arena and yes. it was just packed full of really enthusiastic fans. Yeah, we actually, we arrived at our seats as the ring announcer was saying they were going to go live in one minute. So uh, despite our best efforts to be early, right, we, wanted we just we barely we made it in. We thought we were going to be like an hour and a half early. But we did make it in. We didn't miss anything. And um, so the show started off with their what they call their buy-in, their pre-show, um, with the tag match. It was Best Friends, SCU, and we got introduced to Private Party. And I love this match. Yeah, it was a really good match. And then we just actually had a chance to watch it on YouTube where it was available for, for free. And so to, to see it from a different perspective, because you do, you do catch different things, catch your eyes live. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you may miss things entirely that, that are very clear on television. So it was interesting to see it um, in, in another form. But I thought it was still uh, just as good as I remembered it. Yeah, it's a great match. Um, really, really glad to see. I had, I had That's my first experience with Private Party, and they're a lot of fun. I uh, was glad to see that they're going to be regulars in AEW. One of my like favorite spots of the entire match, it wasn't even like a wrestling move, but uh, I apologize. I don't remember the, the names of the private parties. I don't know if it was private or if it was party, <laughs> but I think it, we'll have to say it was party. But like <laughs> his entrance, yeah, like he just does like this kind of weird handstand entrance off the, on, on off the, rope. the ropes yeah. into the ring. And it was like, there's no real purpose for it, but besides just looking awesome. Yeah, and I've seen a couple. I've seen other people um, have they try a similar entrance, but like how high he can get, and and how um, you know sort of straight up and down he can get his body. Like it, it looks much better from him. Yeah, I mean it's not like a unique thing to try to do like some kind of elaborate entrance into the ring, but just the the way he does it, the height he gets, like you say, and the way he just kind of just pauses in mm-hmm. there. I always like when someone can do that, where they yeah. just kind of like, it seems like they've pressed pause and the world continues moving around them. Uh, so anyway, that was pretty cool. Um, neither here nor there, but like when you can do little things like that, that I don't know, I just enjoy that kind of stuff. Maybe yeah, I'm well, they, they're incredibly athletic and they can do a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. So I'm um, really glad to see them in the tag division there. And it was uh, it was good for them to be in a match with um, four veteran experienced uh, wrestlers who could kind of like you know control the match and, mm-hmm. and and keep them keep them you know moving in the right direction. So I thought it worked really well to have that veteran presence in there with these new guys um, and, and make sure they had a success their first time out. Yeah, yeah, and I I think they did. I, I would think anybody who saw that match would have been impressed with their debut in AEW. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. I don't see how you couldn't have been. And uh, so, best friends won. Yes. And, so that um, means they're going to 
compete in a tournament for tag titles or something? Is that? That's my understanding. So um, it's, it's not a hundred percent clear, um, but partly that's because we didn't watch it on TV probably. So, you know, some of the storylines may be lost on, in the live experience. So my understanding is at the next show, they are going to face another team um, that will then get them, I guess, if they win a first round bye in the tag team tournament that will be on AEW television. So as always, every bit of this information could be wrong. Yeah. But maybe it's correct. I don't know. That would be interesting, though. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, I guess there was a lot of criticism of this pre-show. Um, That's what c- I heard. Certainly couldn't have been from that match. I would hope not. I thought that was a great way to start the show. And I actually really love the next match, too. Which was Michael Nakazawa against? Was that next, or was the or was the ladies next? Oh, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure about the. It, one of the other matches in the pre-show, <laughs> I really liked Michael Nakazawa against the CEO. Um, I guess the CEO of CEO. I believe that's right. Um, I yeah, I saw a lot of negativity towards this match, but it was actually I thought it was really fun, and the live crowd was really into it yeah everybody loved it and you know i I guess there's a lot of criticism because the guy was not like a you know a a professional wrestler by trade but you know if you were just watching that match and you didn't know that i'm not sure you would necessarily have picked up on that you wouldn't have thought that he was okada or like some kind of technical wizard but there was nothing about that match that necessarily made you say like oh this is a complete you know this guy doesn't belong in the ring like, he held up his end of it, I thought. It was a comedy match, a hardcore comedy match, and I thought they did a really good job with it. I, I was kind of shocked to see the criticism. Yeah. I mean, not really, because criticism is like, that's all you see on wrestling <laughs> Twitter, I guess. But um, I don't know. I didn't have any problem with the match to the point where like I actively enjoyed it. Yeah, and so the reason that I think the women's match was between these two matches Um, was because I saw a lot of people um, either commenting or asking about whether or not the women's match took the crowd completely out of the the pre-show. And I will say that, um, yeah, I mean, the the crowd was pretty subdued for for the women's match. Um, Now, I wouldn't say completely out of it, but, but it was definitely the quietest they were the whole night. Um, but they bounced back really well, I think, for the, the for the Michael Nakazawa match, and um, I, the the live crowd enjoyed it. Uh, seemed very amused uh, by the antics, and so yeah, I, I just didn't the criticism of like the people I saw people saying like the pre show was you know so bad I didn't want to watch the rest of the show or you know it was a terrible introduction to to AEW or whatever. I just didn't get that exactly. Yeah, I thought. I mean, it, it, I thought it was a fine introduction for for what I understand AEW is going to be, and and kind of what they promised by based on the talent they signed, which is like you had a really exciting work rate match, that was the opening tag match, and then you had like some comedy elements, that's kind of always been a part of the being the elite brand. And so it didn't necessarily shock me that... No, and of course the show was uh, co-promoted with uh, CEO. Right. And so, I mean, yeah, it was understandable that this match 
was on this show because it was co-promoted by this man's company. But we have also like kind of talked about this tension that's always going to exist because there's a certain brand of fan that only wants the serious wrestling. And they kind of see AEW as an antidote to WWE, which presents sports entertainment. So they, they really want to hyper-focus on serious wrestling matches. Whereas AEW, in actuality, you know, a lot of the creative direction is coming from Kenny Omega. It's coming from the Young Bucks. Um, MJF is one of their major young stars. Like, there's going to be a comedy element to it. Like, right. Like, I just don't. I don't see how it can be avoided. It's who these people are. Right. And so um, there's going to be that tension between what some of these fans want and what the AEW wrestlers want to deliver. And so um, I think there'll be a lot of this kind of thing where like the fans who love AEW are going to love it and the people in the arena are going to be going crazy for it. And there's going to be a small subsection of people on Twitter talking about how terrible it is. Right. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely a fan who likes both the serious wrestling and the comedy. However, um, I like my comedy to land at least a little bit. And um, that librarian gimmick is not landing. No, not at all. But one of the questions we'll delve into that so we can talk about that a little bit further later in the show. Well, the criticism in the pre-show about that particular match was warranted. Fair enough. So once the show started proper, um, it was just off to the races, though. Yes. I This show was so fun. Um, well, first of all, it was, what, over three hours long, at least, including the pre-show, maybe closer to four hours. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't get up a single time. No, she didn't even go to the bathroom. <laughs> Which is... A woman went yes. four hours without going to the bathroom. <laughs> Is that gender biased? Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to go to the bathroom. I know you did. <laughs> Both the kids did, and you took them. Uh, I didn't leave my seat. Um, for the last two matches, I didn't even really have a chance to sit down because the entire crowd was standing for almost the entirety of both of the last two matches. Um, the, I'm not sure you even remember to breathe during some of those matches. I, I mean, there were... Probably during the last, I would say during the last two matches, um, I'm not sure that my eyes ever left the ring, like ever left the action, like the whole time. Uh, even with like one of my kids sitting there constantly tapping me and trying to get me to do farm animal noises and whatever else he was asking me I about. I saw that he stole your nose a couple times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was getting so desperate for attention. He was stealing my nose. Um, but those those two matches uh, just had me like riveted. So, yeah, um, I I mean I really really like this show. I'm I know I mean I know this is crazy. And hot pro- take coming. Yeah, hot, this is my hot take. But the truth is, is that I liked this show better than I like Double or Nothing. Now, not the, you know, the not the two experiences. Double or Nothing with my first trip to Las Vegas and first big show for the boys and first time getting to see Kenny and like no, the whole experience Double or Nothing was a much bigger deal. But in terms of just like a wrestling show, I liked Fighter Fest better. Um for a couple of different reasons. Um one, I I think I was more engaged with all the matches, um, Double or Nothing was a little bit up and down for me. There were a few matches where 
you know, I wasn't, um, that into it. And, um, but of course it had really big moments like the, the Cody Dustin match. This one, it didn't have any really big, uh, moments or matches like that, but there were more matches in which I was like fully engaged, fully entertained, like through the whole match. And most importantly, um, for, for my enjoyment was that this time around, I got to see the Kenny Omega that I wanted to see live. Like the Jericho match was a bit of a a letdown for me. And it was a little, um, nerve wracking, uh, with, you know, Kenny getting busted up so early and bleeding profusely (laughs) through the match. This was, uh, Kenny Omega looking like he was having fun, like he was just, you know, free, you know, moving at full speed, which he, of course, could not do against old man Jericho. <laughs> and just really the the Kenny that I like to see in the ring. It was really wild. Like, so I've seen a lot of live wrestling this year, but it was I was impressed because like when when Kenny got into the ring, um there's a different level that he hits yes. like the speed in which he does everything, the intensity with which he does everything, just the way he moves. Mm-hmm. Like he has a gear that other people don't have. Yeah. And I, I mean, it comes across somewhat on television. Obviously he's Kenny Omega, so it must, but like when you see it live and in person, it's just like, you're reminded like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's why, that's why we're here for this guy. Yes. Cause watch him move. Like nobody moves like that. Mm-mm. And like, so like just, just even just like running the ropes, it's just like, or when he, when he does like the, the amateur wrestling, uh, change jo- direction. yeah, the changing direction. And, um, just like, I, I don't know, he's, um, he's in uh, quite an athlete. And so that's what the one thing that you see when you watch him live, that it's just like, it, I don't know, it blew me away. Mm-hmm. And that whole match I thought was great. I saw, it was amazing. I saw some criticism afterwards. It's just like, I'm just going to write that person off. Cause man, if you didn't like that, like, I, I don't know. I understand you at all. Yeah. Yeah. We just, if you didn't like that, we don't have the same tastes and right. there's just nothing I can do about and that. They're just like, Oh, it's all high spots. Well, okay. That's good though. Is I mean, it's a it high, called a high spot for a reason. Amazing to see. No, so yeah, so I get, I agree that it's not necessarily like a classic match. Like, you know, it doesn't have some of the elements that the Dustin and Cody match of had course. at, at uh, Double or Nothing. But it's just as far as like a match where like guys go out there and, and do all their crazy stuff. Like it, it was pretty, it was pretty impressive. Yes, impressive and purely entertaining. And like I said, I could not take my eyes off of it. And the crowd never sat down. For like the whole match, I had to stand the whole time in order to be able to see anything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the crowd was crazy. I was, I keep saying this. I was a little surprised to see like people asking like, "Did the crowd die?" And after like, because I didn't feel like it. I felt <laughs> oh like the goodness, crowd was no. hot throughout. Yes. Like I don't know if they the mic died or like I don't I don't know what happened, but like I yeah, never I haven't felt... watched it back, so I don't I don't know what the broadcast looked like. But it was a super enthusiastic crowd and it was very it was interesting an interesting crowd because like um I'd say at double or nothing like almost everyone there um 
was a super fan of some sort. Like they knew everything. They knew all the angles. They mm-hmm. knew all the wrestlers. Like it was a smart crowd of uh, people who went there specifically, I think, to see AEW. Right. And so this was a little bit different. I thought there was a neat mix in the crowd because you could hear it like when people are talking and, you know, someone's trying to explain something to the person sitting next to them. It was a good mix of people, a lot of wrestling super fans, a lot of people who were there for AEW with their bullet club t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there was also like some people who clearly didn't know anything about wrestling at all. And then there was also like this noticeable subset of people who knew wrestling, right? But they didn't necessarily know these talents. Yes. And so they didn't know Joey Janela. They didn't Mm -hmm. know Darby. They didn't even necessarily like know the young books. They'd heard of them, but they, they didn't know a lot about them. But what I thought was cool about them and I think this bodes well for AEW, is that they were very willing to give everything a chance. Yes. So, um, And seemed very impressed by most of it. Every, I mean, I, I didn't hear a single negative thing said the entire show. No, no. It was an incredibly positive crowd. It was definitely the most positive crowd that we've encountered. Um, Even at Double or Nothing, there were some of those yeah. like smart fans that were like, you know, complaining about everything or trying to show how smart they were by predicting what was going to happen. Yeah. And like just that kind of obnoxiousness. Mm-hmm. Um, this was not like that at all. No, not at it's all. It's just like people just like really happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had an interesting mix around us. Uh, right next to me, I had um, a, a young man who had brought his mother um, and she was very familiar with wrestling, but not at all familiar uh, with any of these guys. And uh, they, he, he was explaining um, about you know each wrestler and, and each angle, and they seemed like incredibly entertained and happy throughout the show. Behind us, we had a dad with two young kids, and uh, one of the one one of his boys was trying to go to sleep during the pre-show like he was already like absolutely exhausted at but he like wanted he wanted to see the young bucks but they so were bad. there for the young bucks and and yeah i mean dad managed to like uh you know get him there uh get him to the young bucks and stuff before he passed impre- out entirely parenting. he did he did a really great job yeah i was i was proud of him as a dad and then you know the down in front of us was like this guy that was uh came back with like two beers in his hand like every about 30 minutes or so <laughs> uh, way overserved um but uh he was enjoying himself uh sometimes a little bit too much but um kind of like in an interesting way where like he said a lot of bad things but it was always directed at the heels yes so i think that's how you're supposed to be at a wrestling show right right no no he was fine just maybe a little bit loud but um uh, but yeah i mean generally like um I mean, he was still, I think he was still very positive about the show, even if he was very negative about the yes. <laughs> and so the, the, the show closed with, uh, I guess what you would call like a, a death match light uh, between Joey Janela and John Moxley, which is like a step above like a WWE kind of hardcore match, but not quite into full like we're going to break light bulbs. Yeah, on each Moxley brought no power tools which uh, used to be like a hallmark of his of his death matches. There were no chainsaws, no weed whackers. Um, yeah, there were no light tubes. Nothing exploded. Um, so, yeah, death match light. So for me, it's like kind of a, maybe a slightly softer fan at this point. Um, I, I was more comfortable with like the elements of danger that they brought, like the, the chair wrapped in barbed wire and, you know, the the – the wooden plank that had barbed wire on it and the giant ladder 
and the thumbtacks. <laughs> uh, you're giving me a look like you wanted more. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought it might um, delve into a little more of the uh, the older Moxley stuff. Um, it, you know, it's fine. It's fine for what it was. It was very entertaining. Um, you know, he and Moxley and Joey Janela both uh, bring a lot of a personality to the ring. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it was the second match in a row in which I, I didn't really get to sit down for most of the match uh, because everybody in front of me was standing for the, in, the entirety of the match. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was um, it was it was fun. The, the standout spot that I just didn't want to let to not mention was uh, Joey Janela climbing on top of a giant ladder <laughs> and then dropping an elbow um, through a table while screaming, I believe America. <laughs> so yeah, Joey Janela in, in defeat, um, just even more legendary than ever. Yeah. In defeat, picking thumbtacks out of his feet. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, John Moxley is spitting a thumbtack out that had gotten into his mouth. It was that kind of match. And, uh, I'm there for it. And, and I guess like it seemed like afterwards to the media, Tony Khan seemed a little bit squeamish about it, possibly like trying to assure people that this will not be the kind of wrestling that they have on TNT. Um, but I don't know what that means. I didn't either. I wasn't sure. Cause exactly. you signed Moxley, you signed Joey right. Janela, you signed Jimmy, Jimmy Havoc. Havoc. Like um, you're going to have some of this wrestling. If That's you're... I, you know, cause I, you know, there's a difference between this isn't the kind of wrestling we're going to have versus this isn't the kind of wrestling we're going to have on TNT because they will have other options. They will have pay-per-views. They will have house shows. Um, so there, there is the, the possibility of still having these matches occasionally and just not having them on primetime television on TNT. Um, those don't, it doesn't have to, that doesn't have to mean the same thing. And you're right. You, you went out and you signed Jimmy fucking Havoc. You signed Joey Janela. You signed Moxley. Like, I it, I don't believe that you honestly don't want to have these kinds of matches. I mean, you know, hell, you signed Chris Jericho, who at this point is... This, yeah, this is he, the only kind of match Yeah, trash matches is, right. is what I call it. But yeah, trash matches. There's going to be tables. There's going to be chairs. There's going to be barricades. There's going to be hitting you with cameras. There, You know, this is the kind of wrestling that old man Jericho does now. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's your roster. And you're, you're trying to say that... I don't think that you're trying to say that's not the kind of wrestling that we're going to have. I think... That he's just saying, hey, TNT, don't worry about it. We're not going to put that on prime time. <laughs> In case they were getting a little yes, bit nervous. Which, I mean, they might be. Sure. Like, that's that's probably not uh, appropriate for prime time network television. And so the, the final kind of moment of the show in a kind of a turnabout is fair play. Yes. Um, in, in the last show, after the main event match, John Moxley made his way down and kind of like stole everyone's thunder. And this time it was Kenny Omega's turn to come flying down the ramp with a perfectly placed knee and then proceeded to to put a whooping on Moxley. Yeah, just sort of carried him around the arena. Um, at one point played the drums on him, hit him with the guitar, left for a minute, came back with a trash can, uh, dented up that trash can all over Moxley, uh, who... 
we who we got to see remained smiling after all of this violence. Yes, so but double or nothing uh, ended with Moxley triumphant and Kenny down and out, and then their second show uh, it was Kenny's turn to end the show um, on the ramp in glory with Moxley down on the ground. Yeah, being carried out by so some refs. It is uh, setting up their their match nicely. Yes, nicely. So let's uh, do some some listener questions. There are some other things we're talking about from the show, and I think they're going to hit them here. Um, So Patio War Wagon. uh, (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yes. Wants to know um, about, uh, and Ryan Loco asked a similar question. Did Sean Spears uh, steal Darby Allen's thunder? We haven't talked about that match yet. It was a great match. But there was a 30-minute draw uh, between Darby Allen and uh, Cody Rhodes. And then immediately following that, uh, what they're referencing here, if you haven't seen it, is Sean Spears, who was Ty Dillinger in, in the WWE system. Perfect 10. Yes, 10. ten. Came down and whacked Cody with a, a now controversial chair shot to the head. And then, so, you know, by the time it was over, uh, though I thought the purpose of the match itself was to put over Darby Allen as like the super tough young kid who's never going to give up and and fought all the way to the end. And it did. And it did. But then almost immediately they're talking about something else. Yeah. Which is kind of unfortunate. So I think the question is correct. Um, but I think that Darby's performance was so remarkable and, and his talent so kind of singular uh, that despite this big angle happening afterwards, uh, people are still talking about him anyway. Yeah, I guess my opinion would be that it was possibly unfortunate but necessary. Um, they don't have a television program right now. They're having to build everything from show to show. So, I, you know, I, I, they had, I think, three run-ins, three post-match run-ins on this show, which would normally, I think, would be overkill. I think it would be too much. But I understand that they have to build these, uh, these rivalries and these feuds inside the shows for the next show because, like I said, they don't have a television product yet. So, yeah. Um, unfortunate, but necessary. The things that Darby does are so uh, unique, even in this world of wrestling, that I think it's really hard to completely steal his thunder. Right. Uh, some of the things he does, like that coffin drop, that crazy bump that he takes where he just kind of goes flying out of the ropes, right. like completely out of control yeah. and just lands. Um, and then just like, even like the way he takes like some of the regular bumps in the ring, it's yeah. just like, uh, he does everything to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And, um, as he pointed out on Twitter, like people, there was a lot of the, you get this class of wrestling fan who feels like they're like in protector mode, which is like, we have to look out for the boys. And, you know, so they try to legislate like what wrestling moves can be done and how they're done right? and how, you know, like, you know, really in an appropriate way, I think to treat an artist in some ways, uh, who knows better than Darby, what he's capable of. And so, you know, if mm-hmm. someone is going to tell him to tone it down, it's probably going to be the other people in the ring with him, right. the people who actually know better. Um, and, and as he pointed out on Twitter, it's like, he's doing this stuff anyway. Like the <laughs> wrestling is the least crazy stuff. And he has this video of him doing like these skateboarding stunts and stuff where he's taking worse bumps, like, uh, you know, totally unrelated to wrestling. And so, um, I don't know. I, I think he's like the kind of person who, whose thunder cannot be stolen. He's that, he's that good. All right. Well, actually, before you get to another listener question, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. 
I stayed off social media through most of the show. Me I too. didn't do any tweeting. And, and so I was actually, we, we had a lot of times stuck in a parking garage after the show in which I then went back to see what people were saying. I was actually really surprised to see all of the outcry about the chair shot. Um, did you, did it register with you as being like unusual or, or, or something out of the ordinary? Well, so it's, uh, we come from a different perspective too, right? So we grew up going to these ECW shows where like Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney would hit each other. So it's a generational thing, maybe? maybe. And then, so, and also there's some learned experiences there in which some of those guys took so many chair shots that I think they legitimately did themselves some harm. And so, you know, there's, there's a fan that remembers that and has learned some lessons from it. And then maybe has has taken it a little bit too far to the extreme. And so at some point, WWE decided no more chair shots to the head. And so at least... See, I didn't know that. Yeah. So in big time wrestling, there is no, there are no more chair shots to the head. And so, so there's probably like a a generation of fans that has never really seen it. And so uh, the response to it was like kind of hyper aggressive and a little bit crazy. Yeah, it shocked me. I I wasn't expecting that at all. I, I didn't give it two thoughts after it happened. I, it. It just didn't register with me as being anything, you know, that that crazy. But I, I guess it's a generational thing. And it's also like a misunderstanding of what causes like brain trauma, which is basically your brain rattling around in your skull. And uh, and so um, to kind of like focus in, in so intensely on this one thing, which is a steel chair to the head, it's like your brain doesn't know that it's a steel chair. So like these very same fans, like if he had hit him with a board, or he hit him with a ladder, or he had rammed his head into the apron, you know, in, in some kind of crazy bump, um, they would have said nothing about it. But just like the steel chair is like so singularly dangerous in gotcha. your mind. And it's just really not the case. And, you know, there's so many, like I posted something about uh, jumping off the top rope and taking a bump of any kind, like you're, you're rattling your brain. And a lot of wrestlers are like, yeah, like, you know, people don't get that, but this is happening all the time. And so to like, to be like, so focused on this one thing. And then like, if you're really that concerned about it, wrestling in general is bad for the participants. And in so many ways, it's physically harmful. It's, it, it does hurt your brain. Like it's not just a steel chair shot. Every time you're getting clobbered, that that's a, that you're damaging yourself. And so like, if you can't reconcile yourself with that, like you can't really be a wrestling fan. You just, you just have to accept that. It's the same in my other business as like watching people fight. Like, you know that people are doing themselves serious harm and it's the same with wrestling. That's just has, that's a given. And and you can't pretend. I think it worse than like, uh, is pretending to care and like saying, Oh, well, we don't have a steel chair to the head. So these guys are all fine. Like, you know, that's nonsense. They're doing themselves harm. Like, we just have to to live with that because it's happening in every match. So I don't know. I thought the outcry was a little bit over the top. Now, if they started doing multiples of these mm-hmm. every time, just like if like Abushi took the bump that he took against Naito in every match, you'd be con- more concerned than if it just happened once. If, uh, you know, and, and, and we've seen that. Right. Like in all Japan pro wrestling, we used to see like, it was pretty cool when we watched six three ninety four, and and Misawa drops quad on his head, um, 
it became a real problem when every big match they dropped each other on their head. Uh, that's, and it led to them having serious uh, cognitive issues. Never steal a chair shot in any of it. Right. So, you know, it's just a little, I don't know. It feels disingenuous in some ways. Um, I don't want to disparage anyone who really had, you know, feels like they're doing the right thing and trying to protect the wrestler. Um, I, I bet there are people that really have strong feelings of like they feel the feeling of concern. And I, I can appreciate that. So I don't want to say everyone is being disingenuous, but um, I'm sorry to have to bear this news for you. But <laughs> wrestling is extremely dangerous. Right. And no one is escaping it unscathed. So. All right. That was a long diatribe. My apologies. <laughs> so um, at Framus, um, we kind of uh, covered this a little bit. Wants to know, is Joey Janela the coolest or is he the most cool? <laughs> I don't know how, how which is better. I don't know. I don't not sure I would have ever called anyone the most cool. So you'd say coolest. Well, I don't know because then the fact that I've never called anyone the most cool does that like is that a pinnacle? Is it at the top? It's I've never no, even no used one it that's before. Ever reached that level before? It's either Prince or Joey Janela. The two coolest people in the history of the world. Um, actually, as much as I love Joey Janela, um, I don't think I would identify him as cool. Oh. Like, is he cool? Cool. I don't know. That's not what would come to my mind either, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, he's like a, he's a fabulous dirtbag. He has dirtbag energy. He's probably fun to go out to the bar with. But he's also going to be wearing those sunglasses in like a fanny pack or something. Like, <laughs> you know, he's not like 1978 Han Solo or whatever. You know, he's not Harrison <laughs> Ford. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, he, he's not like Denzel Washington in Training Day or something. Like, you know, I don't think cool is the energy he presents. No, I, I think I agree with that. So I love Joey Janela. It's not an insult, but. Um, I don't think he's cool any more than like the young bucks are cool. That's right. Not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we addressed this a little bit. um, And I'll combine these two questions from uh, Ryan Loco, a friend of the the podcast, wants to know, was the pre-show that bad in military industrial suplex? Nice. Yes. Wants to know the, the thought, our thoughts on the future of the librarian gimmick and whether we feel like wrestlers today are fans of the performance element of pro wrestling or the concept of pro wrestling, by which I think he means people like a, engaging in a right, fake sports, a, contest. A sports contest. And this goes back to what Austin Aries said on MLW this week, uh, talking about AEW having cosplay wrestlers. Right. Uh, people pretending to be wrestlers. Instead of wrestlers are pretending to be athletes having a contest, right? These are guys pretending to be wrestlers they've seen pretending to be athletes having a contest. Right, right. So it gets kind of meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, I think those are kind of related questions because I think the pre-show being bad is related to this librarian stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I didn't. I already said I didn't think the pre-show was as terrible as I saw some people discussing it online. That librarian shit was bad. Though. Yeah, the the tag match was really good and I and I thought the the Michael Nakazawa stuff was fine for for what it was. I mean, we knew going in that it's okay, Michael Nakazawa who it, you know, he's nuts all the time and also you this you have a non-wrestler, a co-promoter non-wrestler um in like a 
fake hardcore match or whatever. I mean, we knew going in what it was going to be, and I thought it was entertaining for what it was. The librarian stuff was terrible. Um, it was every part of that was awful. And here's the thing. I actually wasn't one of those people who was already complaining about the librarian gimmick. Um, I had some ideas of what I thought was going to be the payoff for the librarian gimmick, what I kind of hoped was going to be the payoff with the librarian gimmick, um, which was um, I kind of hoped that we were going to find out that uh, Tony Khan had wanted to hire a librarian slash archivist for AEW, someone who would you know, take control of, of their library, their shows and, and their videos and everything like that. And that the, and that the guys had just gotten very confused and thought that he wanted wrestling. a wrestling gimmick. Um, I thought that would have been well, really at funny this point, that and could, a way to really end right. that whole thing. Cause now you're kind of stuck with it. And then there's like these ugly elements of it too. Where oh like yes. The storyline is like the guy is mad about being rejected by a girl. Yeah. It's yeah. That was so we had seen on Being the Elite that the guy librarian had now had a crush on the girl librarian, which is fine. But then this whole thing on Fighter Fest started, the, the, the whole match started with, you know, him making, you know, puppy dog eyes at her and her basically rebuffing him. And then he got violent about it. And I was like, guys, where is this going? Like... This is this is no good. I don't consider myself to be overly sensitive about a lot of things. Um, you know, I I was like, yeah, chair shots. <laughs> I mean, I just said that I'm not. Right. <laughs> but this was just like I was just like, no, that's terrible. That's a terrible message. And I, yeah, I just really don't understand where they're going with this. And then I it, don't see what the payoff could possibly be. And I know one of the performers is a fairly popular Twitter character. And so I like yeah, I don't want to disparage them on a personal level, but as a on a performance level, this is bad. Yeah, they got to get of, out of this. Neither of them is good at this role. Yeah. Now, there was one librarian who turned in a, a tape, like an audition tape, who was not a professional wrestler, who I thought was really funny. And kind of went after the Young Bucks and Kenny and stuff. Like, that was, like, the best audition. Like, these aren't even the best people to audition for this stupid role as the No, librarian. like, that's the thing is that the the inside joke with the auditions and stuff, like, that that was actually mildly amusing. And, and I, like I said, I thought I saw, I thought I saw a path forward that would actually, like, um, get some amusement out of this without actually having to be stuck with it as a, a as a wrestler with this gimmick. I, I don't know where they're going with it. I I kind of hope nowhere. I hope they just kind of like leave this and and just move on because I don't think I just don't. After that performance in the pre-show uh, with the interactions between the male and the female librarian, and then quite frankly the match itself. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was Demo- was worse than the guy who was the CEO of the game. Yes, it, it it was not it was not a good match. Um, yeah, I, I kind of hope they just uh, move on and just forget about this. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're gonna listen to negative feedback from the internet, uh, this is one time where I think it was it was warranted. Yeah, uh, this this can go away. This isn't gonna win you any fans. 
it has the potential of being kind of ugly now you've made it and also the performers are not delivering to the level I think you want your company to deliver. Yeah, it would be one thing if... This um, would be bad on an indie show. Yeah, it would be one thing if um, you had trapped a really talented performer in here and, right. and now you had to rehabilitate them. Um, at this point, I think that you can just cut. You should cut and run. Like, you should just be done with this. Period. All right. Well, now that we've fired someone from their lifelong dream... <laughs> Let's move on to our final question. And uh, this is from MMA Maryland. Wants to know which insane spot at Fighter Fest was the favorite of you and Mrs. Snowden. And so, ladies first, um, of all the moments, all the things that happened at Fighter Fest, which one really stood out to you? I mean, I think my favorite was um, was Joey Janela's uh, jump off the ladder. Like, and <laughs> that was uh, crazy. One, I, you know, one, I was actually pretty shocked when they brought the ladder out there. I, I uh, didn't know they were going to, that there, that ladders were going to be involved. Um, then he, you know, took the dive onto Moxley through the table uh, whilst shouting out. I, I think he was shouting out America. <laughs> Uh, he also when he got to the top of the ladder I don't know exactly what he said uh, but he basically just looked out with like a look that just said like all right let's just fucking do this and then he <laughs> went for it um so I had a couple that okay. maybe is cheating because right, yes for one um so uh, the Darby Allen coffin drop where he missed and landed on the side of the apron oh, yeah uh, that was uh I don't know how I feel about it, but it definitely stood out. And, and the Ray Phoenix dive that he t- typically does over the ring post, too. Always great. Uh, he's always great. And then uh, this is not a high spot. It's not a crazy thing that happened. But um, after Cody took the, the chair shot and uh, MJF comes running into the ring. Oh, yeah. And he pushes someone aside. Yes. So that he can be the first one, or one second, of the second after one, Brandy. after Brandy, to help Cody get to his feet. Um, this is a great character moment. And then I caught a picture as they were taking Cody uh, backstage um, of MJF, like giving a thumbs mm-hmm. up. Like it was just like the man is con- he is always working, mm-hmm. and um, it's just those are the little things that are going to make him a, a, a standout star in the industry is uh, that he understands who is who MJF is. Wait, if you're just picking moments, then I'm picking something different. I thought it said high spots. It said insane spot. Okay. Um, okay. So sorry about that. So if we're just picking moments, I'm picking Kenny's running knee on Moxley. That's a high spot. No, it's not a high spot, and it's not an insane spot, but it was awesome. Now, they did get me. Like, I was waiting... I don't sit there the whole time with my phone out trying to take pictures. Like I take a few here and there and for the benefit of uh, the few people who follow me on Twitter. But um, I I was waiting. Um, One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my whole life on television is the tope that Kenny Omega does where he just like so gracefully Mm -hmm. flies out of the ring and they set it up multiple times in the match. And then some jerk like Pentagon would come (laughs) in and stop him from doing it. And he never did do it. Mm -mm. And so, um, that was the the insane spot that didn't happen that I wanted to happen. So mine is a misconnection. <laughs> a misconnection. Um, so you feel good about closing the book on Fighter Fest? 
Oh, okay. No more questions? No, I kind of right. combined a bunch of them and uh, we poorly answered some others. So. All right. Uh, but that was, that was the past. Mm-hmm. And of course, we also like to look into the future. That's right. We are leaving tomorrow uh, to drive to Dallas. At uh, this point in the evening, it's probably today. Yeah, we're we're gonna make it a leisurely drive, um, uh, not try to wear these boys out. And um, yeah, so it's opening G one climax. I'm just super excited in general for for G one climax. Um, we're always excited for the G one climax, but like this is live in yes. the United States, and we're gonna be there yes. in the arena. Yes. Um, it's a if you know if you are not watching New Japan and you've ever thought like well maybe I'll check it out now is the time to do it because this tournament is killer it is so amazing um, it's like shows on New Japan World on a nearly daily basis um, it's also on Access TV if you don't have uh, New Japan World okay I did not know that um, but yeah so uh, and. You know, every show is just like absolutely packed because every single show for the entirety of the tournament will be one block of the tournament. Uh, the competitors are divided into A block and B block. One block will be having singles matches that will determine, um, you know, their standing inside their block, uh, while the other block will be involved in, you know, tag matches, six man tags, 10 man tags. Um, at the beginning of these shows. So you will get to see all your favorite performers, all the best performers every single day, which is what makes G1 so much fun. Uh, in addition to a lot of, you know, other performers that they kind of round out the roster with. Um, right. But that's really what makes the tournament like so much fun. So it's not like a win and go home tournament. No, no, no. So it's, there's two it's blocks. It's round robin. Each of them have 10 wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And so basically if you're a wrestler in this tournament – you are going to have nine singles matches um, in the course of just like a month's time. So it's a pretty grueling schedule. Yeah, and even on the day days off, they're not really days off because you will then be involved in tag matches. Right. And so these are like 20 of the very best wrestlers in the entire world. So there are no off nights here. Like you're expected to go out there and every single time deliver like a classic or near classic match yeah like and they that's do. the that's the expectation yes. for like a wrestler like okada or kota abushi or especially um kenny omega when he was there it's going to be the same pressure for will osprey and some of these others like um this is where like the match of the years like the many of people's top 10 lists like seven or eight of them mm-hmm. might be out of the g1 so like if you just really love wrestling matches um and you're not really sure about the storylines or how things fit together, uh, this is a really a great time to jump in because there is no real storyline you need to know necessarily. There are some mini stories that will play out in the matches. Right. But, I mean, the main story is, like, this is a tournament with the best wrestlers in the world. And one of somebody's going to come out of block A and somebody's going to come out of block B, and they're going to fight. And the winner is going to have a title match in the, at the biggest show of the year, which is the Tokyo Dome show on January 4th. Of next year. Mm -hmm. So those are the stakes. They don't get any higher. This is uh, prestigious. Like winning this, like it's a star making performance for sure. Yeah. And the tournament is just absolutely filled with drama. Um, Not because it's not, not just the drama of who's beating who in the tournament, who's leading in points, you know, who's going to win out of a block, out of B block, who's going to be in the finals, et cetera. 
But what happens is that every night that you as a, a, as a wrestler are involved in the tag matches, you're going to be up against the person that you face next in the tournament. So there's like these little mini feuds that take place over like two days. The tag match before your singles match and then your singles match. And the amount of drama that they can pack into those mini stories over and over and over again is just amazing. And then you always have some overarching stories that last throughout the tournament. And we've got a couple of this year. Because one, we have Suzuki, um, who did not get into the G1 this year, rather shockingly. Yeah, this is Minoru Suzuki, Suzuki. who is a a 50-something wrestler who was a star of the early Pancras MMA promotion and legendary wrestler. Even just last year was delivering fantastic matches in the G1. I was very surprised. I think everyone was very surprised that he's not in the G1. And he is incensed. He is. And he has basically told New Japan that he is just going to burn down their tournament because he's so angry that he's not in it. Yes, that's right. And, and he's basically said he's going to start with their champion, uh, Okada. Um, then you have this uh, ongoing story where uh, a young lion, Shoda, uh, has been paired with Moxley, John Moxley, um, in tag matches uh, for, for this tournament. Every day that Moxley doesn't have a singles match, he's then in a, a straight tag match with, a, with this young lion who he has declared is his young lion throughout this tournament. And so we get to see uh, that relationship develop, see if they can come together um, as, a, as a good, cohesive tag team. I, I, I'm kind of thinking that they will and that it'll be pretty impressive, but, you know, I'm just guessing. And um, then you always have um, a lot of drama with the young lions themselves. And this year we have not only the the class of young lions that we've gotten used to in Japan, but we are also introducing young lions from the LA dojo. And those guys are very talented as well. We've gotten to see them live. And um, there's always a lot of drama there because they have singles matches during the tournament. Um, and so they'll, you know, uh, Suji, Ren Narita, um, Yamura, they'll be trying to, you know, you know, kind of basically show show off, show sure, out sure. against their other uh, young lions. So not everyone maybe will be quite as focused on the young lions as you are. <laughs> but I agree. The, uh, Christina's a big fan of watching the entire <laughs> card, and we do enjoy the young lion style. But um, probably for some other people, there's some level of excitement in the fact that John Moxley, who is Dean Ambrose in WWE, is going to be in the B block. I discussed Moxley. And Kenta. Uh, who is an international superstar, uh, was in WWE and also was uh, in a different Japanese promotion, Pro Wrestling Noah, for a long time is going to be in the A block. And so uh, there's some new blood mixed in here Mm -hmm. too. So this, uh, there's also the two very best junior heavyweight wrestlers in the world and Will Ospreay and and Shingo Takage, who just had a classic match of the year style match for the junior heavyweight title are both being included in this heavyweight Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. So, uh, We'll see how the littler guys stand up against the larger competition in this tournament. Night after night after night after night. Uh, just so much going on. Yeah. So um, what matches are you most looking forward to? 
Well, I'm very uh, excited about the matches we're going to see live. That's right. Um, we get to see uh, Okada versus Tanahashi. Yes. So for years, that's the legend. If you're not familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling, like Okada is the is the standard bearer right now. He's the 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 champion, and uh, before him was Tanahashi. He was the the former ace of the promotion, and that's uh, to the point that that's now his nickname. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little on the nose maybe and so <laughs> for years these two went back and forth and it took Okada a long time to vanquish Tanahashi but it's still kind of like this match that um, I don't know, just feels important every time right. they do it and this is the first time they've ever done it in America I believe the first time they may have done a singles match anywhere other than Japan but for sure, first sure. Time they in definitely America. keep saying the first time in America. So that makes me think maybe they've faced each other outside of Japan, but uh, maybe they're just being more specific than they need to be. And then also Kenta, who is coming back after a long time in, in the WWE developmental system and a little bit on like the kind of the undercards of WWE proper, uh, is uh, coming back into the star position he kind of deserves. And he's immediately going to be thrown in with Kota Ibushi, who is um, one half of the Golden Lovers and arguably the best wrestler in the world. So no pressure on you, Kenta. Yeah, I mean, in my personal opinion, um, I, I don't think anybody has a has a better G1 than Ibushi. At least that has been true of the uh, last three G1s I saw him in. There was one there in 2016 that he didn't participate in, but 2015... 17, 18. Um, like I, I just don't think anybody has a better tournament than, than Ibushi. It's just fantastic match after fantastic match. Um, he can work such different styles with different people. And, um, yeah, so yeah, Kenta gets thrown right in there. So is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to? Yes. Um, Ibushi's Zack Sabre Jr., I was so pleased to see that they were in the same block. Okay. The last two years, these matches have just been absolutely amazing. And yes, part of it is that they are ridiculously sensual. Like there is a... Erotic nature? Yeah. There is a flavor to these matches that nobody else (laughs) really (laughs) touches. Uh, But they are also just really really good matches both of them just really fantastic so i'm really looking forward um uh, to their uh, next g1 matchup um ibushi okada because um you know this has been sort of a um i guess sort of a protected match we haven't really got to see ibushi and okada in a singles match not exactly like this we've seen ibushi junior heavyweight ibushi against okada We've seen Tiger Mask Ibushi yeah, against Tiger Okada. Mask w, yeah. Yeah. But um, just a, a straight singles match like this um, that will be something new. Um, I really want to see Moxley and Juice have their rematch. Yeah, that should be great. Yeah, that'll be at the end. And there's another feud that I've been uh, really excited about seeing, and that's Jay White against Goto. Yeah, that's the fourth one on my uh, list, too. Jay White has just been so brutally mean to poor Goto. Um, that I think revenge is going to be pretty sweet. I hope so. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to that. And now then that'll be right off the bat, early in the tournament. Yeah, so we'll see right away. Uh, but that's going to be a hot match. And then there's one that like, I, there's no real reason, like there's no storyline behind it really. But uh, Shingo Takage against Ishi. 
like Ooh. just as a match yeah. like because uh, shingo is like a bull of the light heavyweight mm-hmm. division and uh ishii is just like uh, a bull period and so to see these guys just kind of run into each other and just try to pound the crap out of oh, each other yeah, they will. I mean, oh my god that's going to be amazing so that's the match like just from an, a, a wrestling match perspective mm-hmm. that's the one that i want to see that i kind of haven't seen before and i don't know exactly how it's going to go but i have a feeling it's going to be special right i'm actually really excited for shingo and naito um in b block and um that's because they're both in lij and honestly, um, you get a little bit of a vibe from Shingo about whether or not, you know, it sort of seems like he's, um, I don't know that he's a great follower. Yeah. Well, so yeah, he's the newest member. Mm-hmm. He comes from outside the promotion. He's an older wrestler who's been all around the world wrestling. He's wrestled the best in the world and everywhere else he's gone. Right. But he is a junior heavyweight. He is. But at the same time, you do get the idea that like he doesn't necessarily see like some sort of strict hierarchy where he's at the bottom. He, you know, he doesn't doesn't give that vibe at all. And so, yeah, there's a lot of tension in LIJ right now. And in the other block is Evil, Mm -hmm. who has refused to give like the you know, the the gesture of solidarity that they do at the end of every match where uh, Naito brings everyone together and they put their fists together. Mm-hmm. Um, Evil has not participated in that. And so um, there's a little bit of tension brewing there. So uh, what what's going to happen uh, eventually uh, when he meets Sonata in his block? And mm-hmm. uh, can he maintain, like, can he stay in this faction if he's not going to participate right. as a full member? Um so these are all the kinds of little storylines, and each one of these matches has some some element of, yeah. the, of this kind of storytelling. And um, we actually printed out this sheet and, uh, <laughs> because you know not only do you have to book the winner in each block, but you also have to like think about like okay if if someone beats a champion, then they earn a title shot. So yeah. you have to be careful with that, and you don't want anyone to like not win any matches, or you know you want to everyone has to be look strong in various forms mm-hmm. and so we attempted to book this thing and it's next to impossible oh, like it's it so very hard. hard and so so much respect for uh for for ghetto and, and and the other creative forces in new japan pro wrestling to come up with this every year and make it so compelling yes and i uh, have all these little stories and have them play out and develop over the years and then also specifically in this tournament mm-hmm. um I don't know how he does it. No. I, I mean, feel like I know how it's going to end. Right. But I don't know exactly how they're going to get there or how you even do it and keep everyone happy or at least a, right. a, approximately you know, yeah. some approximation of happy. Um, so part of our problem sitting down trying to book this is that we got like three quarters of the way through when we suddenly realized that that we were actually booking different winners. Yeah, so you, you do have to like, I think you have to work backwards. Yeah. I'm sure that's their actual system. I wish we had thought of that earlier. Um, because <laughs> I, I believe, I know who I believe is going to win. Which is? Uh, I believe A block is going to be Ibushi. Mm-hmm. And I believe the uh, block B is going to be Naito. And they'll have a, their third match of the year um, to, to determine the winner. And so... Um, who do I you believe. have an overall winner? I think it'll be Naito. You think it'll be Naito. So I that know. was that was part of our our issue is that um, I was booking Ibushi to win and you were booking Naito to win and we didn't figure that out until about three quarters of the way through <laughs> that we were not working on the same uh, we weren't uh, working towards the same goal. Yeah. So I do think that uh, Ibushi will beat Okada though during the tournament in order to earn a title shot that he'll get um, during the fall. 
So that's how I kind of see it playing out. Mm. But I, I do think that um, maybe New Japan's not quite ready to pull the trigger on Ibushi yet as like their main champion. And I think the story is being built towards Naito being the double champion, gotcha. Intercontinental, and IWGP champion. Well, you know, you you know what I what I actually hoped would happen is that as Naito talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about trying to become a double champion, I was actually kind of hoping that they were going to make Ibushi a double champion because I thought that was like so incredibly Naito. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know if this is finally the time for Naito. You know, there's a class, a, a, he has a huge amount of support. He's very popular with the Japanese fans and uh, the younger male fans, I think. So there's some divide here. Yeah, I think part of it is that um, I tend to like Naito in that role of like, sort of like, you know, underdog, sort of that like, you know, poor Naito, you know, he never quite gets everything that he wants. So I kind of like Naito in that role. I don't know what I would think of Naito in a role where he actually got everything that he wanted. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't, I can't even really fathom that. So that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I don't know if they're really going to make that happen. Cause then it's like, he's not even Naito anymore. It's really, uh, it's kind of odd because, you know, he's, I guess it's not odd. It's, it's typical in a way in that, you know, he's got, you have Okada who is like the, the, the textbook definition of champion. He just, he looks, just looks like a he champion. He looks the part and he's the he best. He looks like he's meant to well wear that belt. And he's the best wrestler in the world. And so Naito is an extremely popular, extremely good wrestler who just happens to be there at the same time as this other guy who was born for the role. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just don't think he's ever going to be the guy. Yeah. Not while Okada is, is, is there. And so it's going to be like, maybe you give him this. I think they're going to give him this as like his signature moment. Right. And then eventually it'll go back to Okada. Right. But so that's kind of what I feel is happening here. And then it'll be Ibushi's turn to have his uh, signature moment of his career. And then it'll go back to Okada. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this before as much as I well, So like, I, I like Naito. But he doesn't look like a champion. He doesn't act like a champion. He doesn't seem like he would stand up well, you know, as, as a champion. Um, and then I absolutely love Ibushi. I, I think that he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, but he is incredibly awkward. And there's, as much as I like to like him and want to see him have success, um, he just doesn't have that what Okada has like he just doesn't look like a champion I mean he looks beautiful but he doesn't look like a champion he doesn't look like the person who's going to represent like your entire brand so yeah it is actually really weird to think about like who you know who do they put the belt on when do they put it on how long do they hold it who do they you know, put it on next or whatever, because all I can see is Okada with the belt. Like that's when you're just like, who's New Japan champion? It's Okada. It's always Okada. Like it's just, it should be Okada. And it's like, it's oh, something like Jay White. It kind of works because, you know, he's this giant shitbag heel. And of course, sometimes 
sometimes the giant shitbag heel wins the wins the belt. Like, right, and he's also a foreigner, and that puts him in like a different category, yes. right? And in, and in their mind, yeah. And so sometimes you have this blip, basically, sure. where where this guy gets to have the title, and then, like you said, it goes right back to you know Okada or maybe your ace Tanahashi. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it is strange um, to think of anybody other than Okada having the belt for any length of time, even people that I really, really like, like Ibushi. Well, as always, like we could be entirely wrong about all this and uh, they could, maybe there's a dark horse like Will Ospreay who they've just moved to Japan and signed a long-term contract. Maybe he's going to surprise people. Maybe they think it's time to pull the trigger on Sonata. Like, you know, there's so many great wrestlers here. Maybe Moxley, like the big international star, is going to come out of the B block. Or Kenta. Or Kenta is going to come out of the A block. I mean, um, Jay White, the the last Mm -hmm. uh, champion. Like, uh, so that's the, there's enough questions all the time that that you can't say for sure exactly what's going to happen. No. I, I, I mean, I, and that's I, really the beauty of it. Yeah. I can say what could, I want to happen, sure. but I, I'm not going to pretend like I have any, but idea. you can't live in a world where like, that's the only thing that can make you happen, happy. No, as a no. Fan. And, and that's the thing is that um, but so many people do that. You right. see them where it's like, Oh, if it doesn't go exactly how I wanted it to go. It must be bad. Well, here's my philosophy. If what happens makes sense, I'm usually pretty happy. And new Japan is really great about that. Like I watch, the stories in these matches, behind these matches, around these matches, and it it always makes sense to me. And so if that continues to be the case, I'll be happy no matter who wins, I, even if it's like a, just a complete surprise. Like, oh, it's evil's year. Okay, I didn't see that come in, but if it makes sense, then I'll enjoy it. Well, one thing is for sure. We will begin this journey with them live in Dallas, Texas, the G1 Climax 29 opening night. Uh, Really looking forward to to being there with you. And who knows, maybe we'll jump back on here when it's all said and done and do another podcast and and talk about our experiences. Well, I don't know, because I'm going to be watching the G1 like every day. Yeah, we won't have time. (laughs) And maybe I'll write this book. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens.